Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger. And today I am joined by two fabulous people. So the first one, Coach Lee Marie. Hi, and we have a very new guest that is our science expert and research, and she will be telling you all about her background, Carrie Pedro. Welcome to Hi. the show. Thanks for me on. So how long have you been a glam girl? I was trying to think so about that. Since 2020, and oh, right yeah. before everything shut down. <laughs> right. I forgot about that because you were yeah. the basement girl. <laughs> I was. I was in my basement prepping for my first show. That's wow. So can you tell us a little bit about your degree and um, your background? Yeah. So I have my bachelor's of science in psychology from the University of Pittsburgh. Um, uh, in addition to that, I'm an NASM certified personal trainer. So that gives me a little bit more um, background in exercise science and things like that. Um, I've been with or doing research is my career since 2003 at also the University of Pittsburgh in the Department of Critical Care Medicine. So that's anything to do with the ICU, it's our main research focus. And I manage a group where we mainly do outcomes research. So if you have a research study where uh, patients undergo whatever interventions in the hospital, our group follows them after they leave the hospital. And we do all kinds of different testing with them, ranging from cognitive evaluations, physical function tests, Sometimes we're doing, you know, asking them questions about depression, anxiety, their functional daily activities, pretty much anything you might want to know about how they're doing after leaving the hospital. Yeah, but I've just celebrated my 20 year anniversary there. Wow. Oh, wow. That's great. So how long have you been a personal trainer? So I actually, during COVID, again, you know, had a little bit of free time on my hands and it was something <laughs> I always wanted to do. And I've trained a few clients here and there. I did that on the side for a while. But then it came, it, I just don't have the time for it now, but I would love to do it again in the future. Yeah. So as far as your competition history, how many competitions so that our listeners kind of know your background? I've done five uh, competitions, four regional shows. And then just this year I did the Ben Weeder, which is kind of a national level show. Um, it is a pro yeah, qualifier. Pro so that was really exciting. Very cool. Yeah. So any questions uh, before we get started with this study? So I, I guess I didn't introduce that we're we're going over some research because that's your expertise. Obviously, we've heard that you <laughs> have been doing this for 20 years. And so we can kind of marry the, the two together. You're so used to reading research and then you're also a personal trainer and a bodybuilder. So I just love that you're coming on today to be our expert and kind of go over this study. But before we dive in, I almost forgot. We have the Arnold coming up. I'm leaving tomorrow night. And I wanted, I asked all of you to uh, come up with your predictions. So who wants to go first on that Anybody. one? Anybody. I can go, <laughs> I can go first. Okay. So I, this is my first time giving predictions. I'm a big, huge fan of the bikini division. So I've always have my hopes. But um, I, I mean, I have to go my top three that I think are going to to place top three would be Lorelai Chapados, um, Issa Pacini and Amy Delgado. Those are so my now Issa, 
Isa has had her appendix taken out, so she is not Ouch. competing. So, <laughs> yes. Envisioning. <laughs> I would have put her in the top three too yeah. if she was I eligible. I really do think she's she's making a comeback, um, and I really love her look. So, okay, I didn't know that. That's good to know. Um, and then, <laughs> well, well, monkey wrench in it. <laughs> had my other two that are just near and dear to my heart. I'm big fans of them, and one is Angelica. Um, what is her last name? Tashara. Thank you. And the other one is Phoebe Hagen. I am a big Phoebe Hagen fan. I have been following her forever. And her latest posts of her posing look absolutely stunning. So that's kind of where I'm at. I think Laura Lee is going to take it again, but I'm also just a huge Laura Lee fan. So I'm rooting for her. And then I'm also a big Amy Delgado fan. She just Mm -hmm. works really hard and she's super inspiring as a mom and stuff so that's where I'm at Carrie do you want to go yeah I mean I'm not a ton different I think with this lineup and then with Issa dropping out it kind of opened it up a little bit um but I again I have Laura Lee uh repeating her victory this year um she's looking phenomenal I think she really took the judges feedback from the Olympia and she has really run with it if you've seen her latest posts and her training, they really change up her training, bring down her legs a little bit, you know, kind of give her a little more balance. Now for my second place, now my heart wants to say Angelica, <laughs> but I'm going with Amy <laughs> and I'm, I'm putting Angelica third. And then for fourth and fifth, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't think anyone's really knows what's going to happen, but I have Phoebe Hagen and then Vanya. Okay. Now, you have the same top five as I do, but I just have them in different order. So I was spot on with exact the same thing. So I actually think that Amy Delgado is going to make her her first win at a big title. I just, I don't know. I have a feeling about that. Um, just because Laura Lee is doing so many different things, it's hard to tell. I mean, I think it's going to be a battle between the two of them for sure. Yeah. It's just going to be a matter of did this um like cardio type of um based training work um so that'll be the question but i do think angelica will get third um she's just a shark when it comes to the game even though she's the sweetest person ever but she i mean don't let her kid you she is out to win she is a competitor and she is the sweetest like best ambassador of the sport i think she's won the arnold three times if i'm not mistaken i know she's won you know she has the most Olympia titles. Well, now Jen is tied with her, but um, like second to Ashley K. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be dependent on how she comes around. She's not being coached by Odo anymore, which is a, a wild card. She's coaching herself and she is post, you know, two babies. So but her body doesn't look like it changed too much after that. So. We'll see on that one. Um, but yeah, I have Vanya in fourth and then I have Phoebe in fifth um, just because I heard um, her coach actually putting her in fifth, which to me, like, that's the biggest insight. You know, he he's kind of said, like, it'll depend on if her conditioning gets to where it needs to be. So she could be as high as, you know, even higher than that if her conditioning comes in a little bit better. But mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always feel like coaches know, especially when they've been working for it with them for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I've heard him say that about Phoebe before. I think that's her biggest thing is just nailing her conditioning. 
yeah, his prediction, he put her in fifth. So I'm like, okay, well, that's pretty, <laughs> you oh. know, yeah. So we'll go I mean, with it's that. It's so hard to go like fourth, fifth, like. I know. Those are just like, it just depends on the day, really. Yeah. yeah. And then this yeah. is just like a really interesting Arnold because just comparing to the Olympia, because so many of the Olympia top 10 are not yes. doing the Arnold. So it's going to be a fun one for sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So let's just start with just kind of what this article was about. I felt like it was interesting and a lot of our um, listeners so I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming on, first of all, Carrie. And secondly, you always send me, you know, th research and things. And um, I always am very interested to hear your thoughts. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, and well, so you know, like, you I know you're a research time. nerd like me. So yeah, bikini nerds <laughs> all the way. <laughs> okay, so it's just fun. give us a brief synopsis of what the article is about. Yeah, so this article, it's titled The Effects of Band Resisted Abduction on Muscle Activity between the barbell hip thrust and the bar, uh, barbell hip thrust and barbell glute bridge. So what they're doing is testing differences between barbell glute bridge and barbell hip thrust, thrust both with and without a band. So I thought, you know, as bikini athletes, we're very interested in this topic, building our glutes. And also we've all been using bands for, you know, yes. however long now. So it'd be good to know, like, is this the best way to be training? or yeah. at least maybe and <laughs> so they specifically use they use the brett Contreras glute loop yeah. in this study right they did they used level one um glute loop from brett okay Contreras. i have that so, one it's a good one yeah i was like oh look at that so you know we're always trying to maximize our glute training so i was excited to read this and see what it had to say so this was actually a really new study it was published just recently in september of 2023 which it takes a long time to conduct and publish a study. So that's very recent in the world of research. Mm -hmm. And it was published in the International Journal of Strength and Conditioning. And it was conducted by Derek Kennedy, Jeffrey Casebolt, Jean Farron, and Michelle Bartlett out of the Department of Sports and Exercise Science at West Texas A&M University. It was actually their graduate student research project. So that's oh, okay. pretty cool, yeah. So their primary aim or their research question here was to see if there were any differences in both peak and mean, that means average, um, muscular activity muscular activity between the barbell hip thrust and the band resistance barbell hip thrust, as well as differences between the barbell glute bridge and the band resisted barbell glute bridge. So <clears throat> it was really interesting to me too that these particular exercises with the band, no one has ever studied this before to see if there's differences in activity. There's been studies doing band resisted um, squats and things like that, but nothing with the hip thrust and that posterior magnetic chain. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought they did a very good job in this study. They controlled for a lot of variables. So what they did is they took 12 um, men with an average age of 20.3 years old. So they're pretty young and they were between five foot nine and a half and six foot three inches tall. So their average height was just over six feet. And they all interestingly had a history of resistance training, an average of six years of resistance training. So these are pretty oh, wow. well-trained individuals. They also made sure that they had a history of doing these movements before. So they were not new to either the glute bridge, the barbell glute bridge or the barbell hip thrust. So that was important to know. 
that Go as well. men doing your glute bridges. <laughs> I know. No chicken legs in this group. <laughs> um, so let's see. So what they did is they attached um, an EMG sensors to various places on their bodies that were predetermined by previous work. So they had precise placements is where they were putting the SEMG. So, you know, when you stick on those sensors, I know, Amy, you've yep. done those before. I've actually, you know, I've actually done this uh, same experiment basically on a lot of bikini athletes. So I'll have to chime in on my like anecdotal evidence yeah. that I have with females in this area. So, yeah. And then they actually also calculated or they determined their five rep max. So before they ever measured their muscle activity, they went through a whole process to determine their five rep max. So they're all, you know, lifting about, you know, the same load for their strength. So that was equalized between the subjects. This was quite a process with how they did yeah. this. They also made sure that the testing conditions were roughly at the same time of day, that they didn't change their diet. So they really did try and control for a lot of those variables that could affect how they performed in these exercises. Definitely. So the first, they first tested the condition of barbell hip thrust versus the banded barbell hip thrust. And then they did the glute bridge versus the banded barbell glute bridge. They actually randomized the order um, under which they the subjects did each set. So, and they did them on different days. So it, that they also controlled for that as well. So they didn't okay. necessarily do one before the other. They randomly selected how they did that. Okay. So I guess the most important thing is, you know, what did they find when they looked at the SEMG activity? So they actually found four significant. And when you're in research, when you see the word significant, generally what they're referring to is that it's statistically significant, meaning it's very unlikely to have happened by chance. Mm -hmm. So you can have different, you can see, you know, trends in your data or effects in your data but you do some statistical analyses to make sure that this is something that wouldn't just happen by chance. It all gets very complicated. So we don't, we don't, yeah. we don't need to go there. Sometimes that is, is out of my realm. The stuff they do is so complicated. But first they found that both of the conditions where the band was, band was used showed greater average muscle activity in the upper gluteus maximus. Then, so there's more activity in the upper glute with the band than without the band. And they also found that the banded barbell hip thrust had a larger peak muscle activity in the upper glutes. So we're getting more activity in those upper glutes in both um, in the banded condition versus the unbanded condition in the barbell hip thrust. So that was pretty cool to read. But I'll so get to really quick before you move on yeah. on that just so our listeners understand because i program in a lot of abduction work like cable abductions mm -hmm. um machine abductions and when we are contracting that band we're we're abducting and that's where you build that upper glute so like if somebody has a lagging body part like an upper glute which is like glute medius and minimus right so that's an exercise that would be beneficial. So is that kind of saying that that backs that up a little bit? It does back it up a little bit for sure. But, you know, as we can talk about in a little bit, if this is also in 12 people yes. and 12 men. So yes. we're not okay. going to draw any hard conclusion okay. here. <laughs> now, one unexpected and very surprising thing that they found is in the barbell glue bridge, they actually got 
more muscle activity in the unbanded exercise in the glute med. So okay. that was surprising to find because that was against their hypothesis of what they thought they would find. Okay. So they had some explanations. It could be due to things like reciprocal inhibition, synergistic dominance of how the muscles are working together or against each other when you add the band versus when you don't have the band. So they're looking into those kinds of factors as to, to explain why that might have happened. Okay. Um, but overall, activity in the lower glute and in the hamstring, they weren't significantly different in any of the conditions. So that stayed pretty consistent. So, <laughs> oh, I just got a visitor from my son. <laughs> a special, special guest star. All right. So the overall load um, is what we need to talk about here because this is where I think it gets a little bit sticky. So in the banded conditions, subjects were able to only lift about like they they were only able to lift 12% less in the banded conditions. And the issue is the SEMG, it's not sensitive enough to measure muscle activity difference with that small amount of weight difference. Mm. So we don't know that really there could be more activation overall if you're lifting a heavier load and how that might affect your training over time. So if you're doing a banded um, hip thrust, for example, and you can only lift a certain amount of weight and you can do more weight with the unbanded version, over time, does the overall muscle activity in all areas of your glutes outweigh the little increase in activation in your upper glute using the band. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. something that would need to be studied over time, which this study did not do. Okay. Lee, so did that you was have any questions that popped up there? I was just yeah. kind of going to ask you about that anyways, which you sort of just explained, but is it, is it worth it to have that little extra upper glute engagement? Like, does that affect the lower glute, like the glute hamstring area? Does the upper glute take over? So there's less activation or is it the same amount of activation, but then the upper glute just gets more? Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Well, I think it gets the same activation, but you're getting less weight. So less load and stimulus sure. on that lower glute and hamstring than you would with the banded. Yeah, so you have to think, I think it really does have to do with your goals and what you're trying to achieve in doing your hip thrust. Yeah. I yeah. definitely noticed that when I use a band, I can't go quite as heavy and just to get that same activation. And I've noticed like with my, I mean, I do hip thrusts usually like two to three times a week average. And so I do a good mix of both, um, just in my programming. Mm -hmm. um, so then I noticed that on the some days that I don't have it banded in my programming, I can push the heavier weight. And then sometimes I have the band in the programming and then I need to go a little lighter so I can get that same activation. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And I think it just speaks to the idea that it's very personal yeah. um, as far as, you know, what your, what your goals are in doing the exercise. Like I know Lee Marie used to do powerlifting. Mm -hmm. So let's mm -hmm. say you're doing one of those powerlifting meets. I know now they do when that adds a, a hip thrust in there. Yeah. You're probably not going to want to train exactly. banded because that is not what you're going for. Exactly. Now, if you did a bodybuilding show and they're like, you need to build your upper glutes 
Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something you want to add in. Mm -hmm. That's very. Yeah. yeah, because that hypertrophy goal is so much different than, than just a strength mm -hmm. goal and how much you can mm -hmm. actually weight that you can pull. It's really about that time under tension on the pretty muscles when it comes to bikini um, and shaping that glute. So this is really interesting to me because, um, yeah, whenever I put it on glute max. Now, granted, my equipment is very rudimentary. I mean, it's, it was about $500. Um, it's a cricket and it, it goes on glute. I put it on glute max when I did this experiment uh, with different individuals. So whenever I put the band on them, I got more activation, like firing in my EMG tests pretty much across the board, every female that I've tested the hip thrust with the band, which is um, interesting because that would be contradictory to what this is kind of saying, even just with the chin tuck, how Brett, you know, tells you to kind of look down at your knees or, you know, tucking your chin, even that little motion improved EMG activity in the glute max. So it's kind of, you know, I mean, these are males and everyone's kind of setup is different too with their levers and like their body positions and we it doesn't does it say how high the does it say it was the 12 inch one i feel like it did um it i know they use the same bench height for all the people so that was not right. customized to each individual they also standardized the foot width so everyone had their feet at shoulder width apart okay. so that was not you know necessarily set up specifically for that person they all had their hands prone so they had the bar like with their hands kind of up like this. Okay. Um, so they really had that all standardized. Now, if you were, you know, just an individual and you're trying to determine, you know, where do you feel the most activation, you might set it up in a slightly different way. I know that I've tried with various bench heights and it makes such a huge difference. So I think you need to like determine what exactly works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So what other, cause I feel like you had a bunch of other things that were kind of like limitations of the study. Can you kind of go over those? Yeah. And we kind of talked things? about them a little bit, but okay. you know, every study is going to have limitations and it's not a negative thing. It's just, you can't study everything and you're never going to have unlimited money to answer yes. every question that you want to answer. So I think, you know, one thing we kind of talked about is that this had a very small sample size. You only have 12 individuals. Now they did set up their statistical analysis plan to know that they needed at least 12 people to run their, their uh, power calculations and make sure that things would be significant, but it's still a very small number. And then also, as we said, it's only in males. And I think this is especially relevant because we're looking at the, the posterior kinetic chain, the hip the hip area. And for women, it's a very different physical structure. You know, how your femur goes into your hip socket, it comes in at a completely different angle than men. So yeah. that's something that would need to be studied specifically in women. So that, that might make it very different. Yeah, I agree. So for the average individual that, you know, looks at a study like this and is like, oh, this is so overwhelming to kind of read through this. What are some tips and advice that you have for the general public, like your, you know, your yeah. uh, public service announcement when it comes to reading research and trying to interpret that so that you can apply it to your own training and goals? 
Yeah. So, well, so one thing that just drives me nuts is when you see, you know, in the media, a study headline that gets blown up out of proportion, yeah. like, oh my God, your computer is going to cause cancer and blah, blah, blah. But then if you actually read the study, it's something, it's like, it was in mice or like, you know, something <laughs> that wasn't even applicable or it was 10 people or it was a survey and it was completely correlational. So one of the most important things is to never just look at the headline and assume that that is accurate or applicable to you. So you want to kind of look into it a little bit more for yourself. And pretty much almost every research, at least the short abstract, is available free and anyone can read it. A lot of them are fully, full text publicly available. And I mean, the different research designs, I mean, there's lots of different designs ranging from, you know, double-blinded placebo-controlled trial, like you would think of like a drug trial, where right. it's very tightly controlled, very, it's like, you know, very serious. Or you might have something like a huge survey that goes out to thousands of people where it's self-report, very different situations there. Because in this that survey, you're relying on people's, you know, recall, you're relying on people's um, you know, being truthful. <laughs> yeah. And then you're also really not controlling for confounding variables. You know, you might, for example, send out a study or read a study that has a survey about consumption of diet soda. And they might come back and say, like, you know, people who consume diet soda had had higher weight. Okay, well, that doesn't really make sense to be the fault of the diet soda. So you have to think, oh, maybe people who consume diet soda also have other behaviors that are leading to weight gain. So, I mean, you just have to be careful about what type of study it is. And then you can also have something like a meta-analysis, which is great because it will take data from a ton of different studies, put it all together and analyze it in that way. So you get a huge sample size. So yeah. tons of people in that group. And you can that's a good way to get some pretty good conclusive evidence as much as we can get, you know, conclusive evidence in research. We're always learning and changing, which is also what drives people nuts, but it's okay. It's important. So where do you find your research? Like where do you, where is a good place for people to look where they can get free articles and things like that? Cause I know you have, you're yeah. privy to, is a, there's been a couple of studies where I've kind of like talked about and you've given me the whole thing, which yeah. is really nice. You can so. really get a lot if you go to pubmed.gov. Okay. Um, you'll at least be able to get the abstracts on there. And so many more journals now are having open access. So it's pretty, a lot of things are pretty publicly available. So it's pretty cool. So anyone can go and do that. And how did you hear about this study? So <laughs> I actually saw someone talk about it on Instagram. And oh, okay. I was like, I didn't really agree with this person's assessment 100%. Like her, this person was like, never do the band again. It's worthless. And I'm like, eh, I take it in a different way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell us more about that. Like, what are what are the specific reasons why you would still incorporate the band then? I think only because I don't think that this study alone is enough proof to say one way or another. And I think yeah. that for me, in my training, the band has been helpful. So, and I know that I feel good activation in the areas I want to build when I use the band. And I know I want to build my upper glutes. So if that might help me build a little bit, then I'm totally happy to use it. 
I'll do some, sometimes I do a hip thrust without the band as well, but I think incorporating it, there's, this study is not telling you conclusively mm-hmm. in any way that the band is not helpful. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of saying that it still does. I mean, it's kind of like a two for one deal, right? Right. So, I mean, if you really have lagging upper glutes, you might as well do it with another exercise because there's only so many things that you can do for the upper glute, like curtsy lunges and side leg presses, um, you know, the abduction, like I talked about before with the cable or the machine. Correct me if I'm missing any, Lee Marie, do you, can you think of any no, or specifically the upper glute? Those are definitely the ones that I try to hit variations of those for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I mean, it's good information to know that, that you're getting, you're getting both. And, um, and then if you want to mix it up and do some non-banded so that you're just getting the maximal load on the, um, the glute max, you know, but that could be something too, that's like seasonal as well, because, you know, if you're lifting heavy in an improvement season Mm -hmm. and you're really well fed and you can lift a lot of weight, you know, maybe, you know, when you're, kind of like leaning out and your reps are a little bit higher and your weight's lighter. This could be something that you could, again, like you said, two for one <laughs> kind I mean, of thing. That's I don't another, know. another factor too, it, that they didn't really look at is like how many reps, how many sets are you doing? Because if, you know, you're doing, you know, you have less load, then, you know, your overall volume might equate. So mm-hmm that's another factor to take into consideration. And as we get closer to shows, you know, as you said, our training does sometimes start to shift that way. And you might want to start sculpting a little bit more versus working on just, you know, brute strength or building as much as you can. Cause at that point you might not really even be building. So right. Much. Cause you might be, you know, if you're not in maintenance or surplus, it's like very, you're kind of just like maintaining your muscle at that point, if you're in a fat loss phase and, and things like that. So yeah, very interesting. Any other points that you think were um, interesting that our, our audience would want to know? Well, I think just another thing you want to take into account when you're looking at any research study, and I talked about this a lot already, but the sample size, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a small number of people, it's just going to make it harder to generalize it outside of that group. And like in this particular study, it was a super homogenous group. I mean, they were young men, resistance trained, all about the same height. I mean, they were very close. I mean, as far as a group could be. So mm-hmm. it's definitely hard to kind of extrapolate this data out towards a, any other group besides this group. <laughs> so, so these six foot tall males that want butts. <laughs> yes. Do it and without so, a band. Yeah. So you definitely want to look at the sample size. So how many people were in the study? And then it's also, again, really important to look at the population that was studied. First, make sure it's actually humans before you you jump to any big conclusion. Because sometimes these headlines that you'll read, you'll look a little further and it will not even be a human study. It'll be in vitro or animal or something like that. And, you know, I think a really famous one that people probably know about is aspartame linking to cancer study. Where, I mean, the amount of aspartame that those rats were being fed would is an amount that, like, you would never intake yeah. <laughs> in your lifetime, probably. Like, so, you know, as they say, the devil's in the dose. So you can't really say from the animal study that it's 100% true in humans. And you can do things to animals. Sorry for the animal lovers out there. 
But, you know, there's a lot of restrictions on what you can do in human research. We have all kinds of controls, human research protections. You know, you can't just do whatever you want <laughs> to human yeah. beings. And I think, you know, this is a really good, um, a really good example of this would be like nutrition studies, because those are typically self-report. I mean, because it's really hard to control nutrition studies. You have to literally like lock people down in a metabolic ward, measure out all their food, hand them, you know, keep them there. One, it's so expensive. You know, two, people don't want to do it. (laughs) It's hard to find people who want to do it. And then there's all, you can't, then it's, you can't do things that are unethical or may hurt the people. So you can't purposefully starve somebody and see what happens as they did in the sixties in that famous Minnesota starvation. I was just going to bring that up. I was going to say, do you care to comment on the Minnesota starvation study? Well, that was done before we had um, human research subject protection, (laughs) but it's a fascinating study. Yes. If you uh, you guys ever get a chance to look that one up, it was done by Ansel Keys in the 1960s, back when there were no rules, and they basically starved, I think, like 50 men, mm-hmm. and then let them refeed in various different ways, and saw what happened to them. Yeah, a lot of them became chefs, right? Because they're so obsessed with food. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they were actually, it's interesting. They were actually all um, recruited from conscientious objectors to the war. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like their punishment. (laughs) Yeah, or like, I don't know if it's punishment or like, like, this is your service because, you know, you don't want to go to war. So we're going to lock you in in here and starve you. Jeez. Wouldn't fly today. (laughs) Sounds like punishment to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that would not fly today. But that's something, you know, just to take into consideration. We can't do whatever we want. There's not enough money to study whatever you want in every study and be perfect and collect all the data that you'd ever want to. I mean, trust me, they want to. I'm doing budgets all the time. And the investigators, they want to shoot for the moon. But, you know, they might get the clouds. (laughs) Lee, did you have any other questions for Carrie before we hop off? I just, I mean, I just had like an observation that I love how you kind of made yourself an example of how important it is to study the research because you saw this person on Instagram that basically went over this study and said, it's worthless to use bands, don't use bands. I don't know if this is a woman or a man, but then you knew that they're really helpful for you. So going back and actually looking at the article, at the research article and and seeing the, first of all, it was done on men and you made that point that like women are built differently than men. And then just the various, you know, small group, all those different facts. I think that's just a really good example of why it's super important to actually know how to find and research these articles. Cause there are so many people, especially out there on Instagram that are going to grab that and just put up the headline. And if you follow them yeah. and somehow trust them, or they know how to make a good reel, you could just be believing anything pretty much. Yeah. I think, you know, as we always say, sadly, most of the time the answer is it depends. (laughs) So so true. But that's a sign of a good coach. I feel like if somebody says it depends for most questions that are asked, I think that that's a sign that they're not just giving, when someone's very dogmatic and one um, there's always going to be somebody that breaks the rule. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I just think it's so good to be open-minded and to make sure that you're looking at it from each individual has 
various characteristics that they're bringing to the table that need to be addressed and things like that. So, Another thing you really want to think about when you read research, when they present it, it's all averages for the most part. So if you picture that classic bell curve, they're presenting, you know, people who are in the middle of that curve, you okay. might be way off to the left, way off to the right. You might not be that average. So you really have to just think about like you are an individual and you can take all of the all this information under consideration, incorporate it into your knowledge base. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you need to do what works best for you. Like, you know, your body in training and after a long time training, like, you know, what works for you and what doesn't work for you and what feels right and what doesn't. And speaking of what works for you, could you give our listeners one tip of living the prep life that has really like helped you. I know I'm totally putting you on the spot. So if you don't, um, don't feel like answering this, that's fine. But just any kind of tip that you've learned throughout your years of training as a bikini competitor. Um, one thing that piece of advice to leave us with before you hop off. Oh my gosh, there's so many things, but this one I think is kind of funny and maybe a little bit unexpected, but clean your kitchen. Oh, because a cleaned up kitchen means it's shut. We are done. You don't want to mess it up again. And you feel organized and set and you're ready for the next day. And good night, kitchen. I love it. Yeah. And you are you always have like the most funny like you just you have the best sense of humor, by the way. <laughs> just so I, I just wanted to, when you said it funny, I was like, oh, man, you always come up with these like little one liners that crack me up. But. Um, but yeah, give Carrie a follow, give her some love, let her know what you thought of this episode. Can you tell us, um, how they can find you and tag you on their stories and give you So, um, my Instagram is at carried, carried forward underscore fit. Uh, Um, and I actually live in Pittsburgh. So if you guys are ever coming to shows, if you want to send me a a DM, want to know where to stay, where to go, I can maybe help you. I'm kind of like a dork. I don't really go out anywhere. So maybe I can introduce you to people who know where fun places are. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But I, you can come train with me at my gym down in the South Hills. Um, but yeah, I'm, I try and be on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. You see Gary Uta and like Bill Sullivan all the time, don't you? Yeah, I and do see them. Let you train it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I was just talking to Bill on Saturday about uh, the Arnold. <laughs> Wow. Oh yeah. Is he judging? Yes. Yeah. 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 Awesome. He said it's, it's like, it's kind of, it's just like fun because it's all the head judges or the top judges. So it's a little less pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more, it's a smaller group too. So it's probably not easier to judge, but at least it's like less overwhelming when you don't have like 50 people up there. He's doing the amateur as well. So I told him to carve up. Well, (laughs) tell him to root for my girl, Sharla. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in wheelchair on Thursday. She's, um, yeah, she's doing her wheelchair debut and we will have her on next week for those listeners that want to hear about her journey to, um, from bikini to wheelchair. And I'm going to kind of recap the Arnold weekend because it's going to be a busy weekend. So, um, be sure to tune in, subscribe. And if you would like to tag us on your stories, you can, uh, tag us we're on Instagram at Prep Life Podcast and at Glam Girl Bikini, and you can apply for coaching at glamgirlbikini.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> Have a good one.